Welcome back, everybody, to We Are TPM with myself, Kyle Teixeira, sitting next to John Teixeira. We are back with another episode of We Are TPM. And this week, we are going to be discussing Section 8 Housing Assistance Program. <laughs> if you have any questions about that, you want to talk about anything we discussed today or in any other episode, or just get, want to give us a call, 817-818-9039. Shoot us an email at showmethemoney at wertpm.com. Let's get into it, John. What was that long named program that I just I just stated? Section 8 Housing Assistance. So before we program. get into that, we... <laughs> We clearly we're ready for vacation, summer vacation, aren't we? Yep. We yep. are. Uh, we found out we the, we uh, we found out Steve put the beach background on yep. us, so we, 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 we got the palm get, trees back there. So we we're going getting in the beach vibes yep. today. It's kind of uh, bright in here. Yeah, it is a little bright. So yep. we got Steve's, the shades on. Steve's got the studio lights going. So we decided <laughs> we were going to rock the shades today. <laughs> so so housing assistance. You know, this is interesting because people either know about this or they don't know about it. So this is an old program. It goes way back. I remember when I was um, young, young man. Not a young boy, but a young man. <laughs> I had an uncle that, that he rented homes. He bought homes. He rented. His whole business model was just renting to Section 8 clients and or Section 8 tenants. And kind of had a stigma back then. And, and now that we do this, what we do for a living, we know this program and how it works really well inside and out, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why we decided to bring this to people to share it with them because there's probably a lot of um, misconceptions, both good and bad, about housing. And I've, we're probably the ones that can clear those up. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just start with baseline what it is, right? So we know what it is. Other people might have heard about it. But Section 8 housing, the Section 8 housing voucher is basically a government assistance program that you have to, you know, get submit an application for and get accepted into where at a base level, the government pays a portion of your rent to the landlord directly it, up to 100%. You know, sometimes it's 100% of the rent. Um that's as simple as I can put it, right? It sounds sounds well, awesome, right? It does, and I think it's part of the Fair Housing Act. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Uh, it goes back to like 1968, I think, or something like that. Um, I believe that's when the Fair Housing Act w was enacted. But um, the the Section Eight is a federally mandated act, I believe that. Mm -hmm allows for the local entities to create their own housing authorities and probably funds them with money, right? And to some extent requires the cities and counties to create these authorities. Yeah. So, yeah. well, so let's talk about the authorities first before we get into the program too much, because okay. the programs differ according to the authorities. So the, thor the each authority has some liberties and how they, um, dish out money, how the program, how their programs work. Some of them have some interesting programs that mm -hmm. try to encourage home ownership. Um, but in essence, the cities, the individual cities and counties can all have their own authority and they actually overlap sometimes. So, well, and I think it's important to, to emphasize what you said about it being a federal program. So there's this baseline starting point that the federal program requires all across the board, and then it can, you know, add, be added on to by the cities and counties. So we're going to 
I mean, it can differ from state to state too. That's why I emphasize that. So our experience is mainly with the housing authorities in the DFW Metroplex. Yep. So. Yep. <clears throat> yep. We 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 are registered with all the authorities near us, and um, they all operate a little differently, right? But under the same premise and under the same general guidelines. So, in essence, um, a, a homeowner, I'm not a homeowner, a, a potential tenant can go and apply for this housing. And if they're approved, like you said, for a portion of their rent or all of their rent based on their income status, they... Um, They'll literally have their rent paid for them every single month. Mm-hmm. And, well, yeah, and it, it, it's a based on an application and qualification process. So, I mean, it's however much they approve. It's completely paid for. Them. Well, let's get into how this works, first yeah. of all. And then we could talk about whether we think uh, – I want to I kind of end with with – should you be doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Should you be accepting these tenants? And so let's talk a little bit about how it works. And and there's a stigma, I think, that some people have about Section 8 or housing vouchers that um, they are going to trash my house, right? They are not good tenants. They're not going to keep up, up the uh, keep up the home real well. Um and some of Let's that, talk about that a little bit. Some of that opinion comes from the the, the philosophy, or I guess, the mindset of thinking um, this tenant, if they're if they're using a housing voucher, then they can't afford rent by themselves. And what what so what makes me think that they'll be able to afford the landscaping bill and the maintenance items that the tenant is required for, like keeping up with the you know outdoor landscaping, cleaning the house, having time to do all that. You know, that's what they think without realizing that this program takes all of that into account. So like when they qualify somebody to see how much they can afford of the rent, how much they're going to cover, they take, you know, they account for, okay, this is budgeted, the, the landscaping is budgeted, the cleaning is budgeted, and your food's budgeted. They they basically create a life budget for somebody Utilities, and see yep, how much everything. left you have for rent and how much they're going to cover. I mean, it's, yep. yeah, I'm not going to speak specific to their qualification process, but that's, uh, you know, in general how it goes so, or what they're looking at. So I'm just saying they're, they're considering those things that you're also considering yeah. um, because they know that these landlords want you know, that's that's a priority because at the end of the day, they the housing program needs them to be good tenants because we can get into how it works, but they're somewhat liable for. Well, if I want to I want to get I want to get into that that what what you were just alluding to, but here let's let's dig into this misconception a little bit more, okay? okay? Because it's got some validity to it, right? Um, if you start you alluded to it if somebody can't afford to pay the rent maybe they don't have the know-how or the life skills to also um take care of a home properly mm-hmm. right and maintain a home i think that's a reasonable Assumption. It's an assumption that somebody can't do that, but it's somewhat reasonable for for a homeowner to ma- to connect those dots a little bit, right? And um, 
And there's probably stories that people have told and run around. People like to run around bad stories, right? And there's always stories. Section 8 tenant, and they trash <laughs> the house. Well, yeah. Um, I, well, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but what what were you going to say? It, it, the, the real question is, it's a statistical one. Does it happen more often in a section for a Section 8 tenant than a regular one? Because, like, those same stories, you know, you You've had a Section 8 tenant trash your house. Okay, how many regular tenants have trashed your house? Um, probably the same you know, number. Um, I, I've In doing a ton of these, I ba- basically, we haven't seen any correlation between them being a Section 8 tenant or not being a Section 8 tenant and how the property ends up. So. Uh, on the contrary, actually, I feel like so far what we, we've got extensive experience with these t- tenants and dealing with these housing authorities. And from my experience, we actually, I actually feel like that the tenants are more trustworthy to take care of the home and take care of things because a, they can afford to do it because the housing authority is paying their, their rent. Um, B, they don't want to lose their assistance. There, mm-hmm. That's one of the things people don't realize is, is the housing authority may, holds them accountable to, to maintain this assistance. They do inspections of the home. Um, the, both the tenant and the landlord have reasonable requirements and expectations to maintain the home. And, <clears throat> and I've never found any of the requirements that they, they ask for to be unreasonable. Um, and if the tenant doesn't abide by those things, they're going to lose their, their benefits. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest points of the stigma is, is kind of what you were <coughs> getting into there is they do have annual inspections mm. that walk through to have a certain standard of ha- habitability, cleanliness, all that stuff. Um, you know, you can, your managers can do that too. But the point is that this housing authority is upholding a standard versus there's no, in a regular lease tenancy, there's there's the standard of that lease, but there's no secondary authority also backing it up, um, or you know even a third if you have a property manager. So um, it's it's an added. You're getting guaranteed money. You know we can get into all the pieces, but there's there's pros and cons. But the cons, a lot of the cons that people don't do it for are not as accurate as I guess what what we're saying in our opinion. Well, there's there's competing forces, okay? Yeah. So 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 while people make a good point that that the people that are on housing sometimes can feel and I've seen this, they can feel somewhat entitled to that benefit, right? Mm-hmm. Like like they're deserved that benefit for some reason and and they they have that that attitude that of entitlement that people a lot of people loathe, right? And so while that happens, they correlate that to mean that they are also not going to take care of the home when we have the competing force of, you know what? If you don't want to lose this benefit, you've got to act a certain way. That kind of polices it. Uh, it polices it a lot. Well, it does. And I mean, if even if the landlord finds out that it's not meeting a standard or their standard of condition and all that stuff that can execute a process to remove them from that home. And people underestimate how much appreciation these tenants often have, especially in a, in a, you know, competing metroplex like this, once they actually get in a house that they like, 
um, it is really hard for them to, you know, not just quickly, but at all get into another assist, you know, housing assistance uh, unit, you know, because it, it, the landlords have to be willing to take this, you know, and it, oftentimes they're not very, uh, there's it, not a, not proper information is given or out there that um, you have to be first enrolled as a section eight house before people can apply for it. And, you know, there's various ways that can go. You make a really good point. And I hope maybe, maybe this, maybe podcasts like this or information that, that people put out like this will help this problem. But to your point, Kyle, there's not enough education about what it is as, as there is landlords, right? So there's a lot of landlords out there. They're managing their own properties. I think nine out of 10 manage their own properties. They don't know what this is. And Every home that I get, I get phone calls every single time. Do you take housing? Do you take a voucher? Do you take Section 8? Those are all the same thing, by the way. Mm -hmm. Every single one, I get those phone calls. And I have standard answers that I can answer. I know what they're asking me before they even ask it. The the standard um, homeowner that just has one house to rent he may not have any idea what it is, may not care, doesn't want anything to do with it. Maybe he's got really conservative ideals and he hates the whole idea of paying somebody's rent so it wasn't anything to do with it, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a whole bunch of attitudes that could go into or misunderstandings that could go into that. And so given that, it makes it extremely hard for these tenants to find, for two reasons, to find homes to live in. They work really hard, I find. The ones that get into the homes, the ones we put in our homes, they just worked harder than everybody else to get there, and they were more diligent and they were faster. Well, because it's, you know, the, the other thing to consider, I guess add this this could be in our pros and cons conversation, but it is a it is a longer race for them. It's a different race that they have to do to to get into these homes because and that's one of the things that stops landlords sometimes from even doing it, is it's it is work on on the landlord's side where it wouldn't be with a normal tenant. Like you have to you pass an inspection before they'll approve the lease and signing. And, you know, if the, if the house is missing some things that needs to meet their standards, you now have to do those before you even have a confirmed lease. And you have to wait a little bit for the first rent payment because the government initially doesn't work quickly for things like payables. But, you know, those are things you can get through. Um, you know, the, the, the trade-off there is statistically and for the reasons we just we are describing right now these tenants stay for at least two leases right like it is very rare that they go all through all this work and they stay for a long they're time. looking for to move out on the next lease and that's just being very conservative with that comment they generally stay way longer than normal tenants because of how hard this is so they appreciate that they've gotten in somewhere right you're right, Kyle. They they stay forever. It takes them so long to get in, so hard to find a home. And once they're there, they stay there for years. I think our average is three and a half years total with over all, our entire portfolio, I believe. I believe that's what it is. I, I, I would be surprised if we just took our housing tenants out if it's not much higher than that, like maybe twice as high, maybe five years, six years. 
I, I would mm-hmm. be surprised if, if the average for housing <laughs> tenants isn't way higher. Um, I mean, because, and, and, you know, we, we kind of brushed over how it works, but this, the portion that comes from housing, from that housing authority, comes on the first, direct deposit into your bank account. Um, it's, it's as guaranteed as a, as a U.S. Treasury bond, you know, so. It's there every month. It's actually there like on the 28th, isn't it? No, it's, 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 it's you know, it's like anything else. It's on the first, unless it's the first on a weekday and then it's that Monday, but you know, you get it. Um, it, after that initial period where, you know, I'll, I'll admit, so usually when we start with a housing tenant, we'll get our, we'll, well get we two months of rent. Because we're already registered with them. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. But once the registration mm-hmm. process goes through, you know, even if they have to catch up, they've signed a contract to promise you that so they get it caught up right um so if you're okay with those delay you know those these these are the pros and cons of and tiny things that stop people from doing it because you're giving up some control that's the most common that really all of these things come down to is the landlord is giving up some control over the lease requirements and their tenant right so you're bringing a party in that is a trade-off of we're going to guarantee you government money for rent and we can have some restrictions over you and your lease and to your point they have an additional they have an addendum to the lease that you have to sign so Mm -hmm. there's other stipulations that you wouldn't normally put in your lease that you have to sign and agree to um so there's there's that you're losing some control over how you Present your tenancy. Yeah, there's some requirements of market rent. So, you know, it's not that you can't increase rents when housing tenant, like fair market rent goes up. You send a rent rent increase to the housing authority. And 60 days notice instead of 30. Yeah, there's, it's, there's, there's some notice requirements, yeah. but you can follow the process yeah. and, you know, you still get that market rent. Um, if you don't, if you want to be somebody who thinks they can get three, four hundred dollars over market and inflate your rent prices, it, you know, there's, there's a, we can talk about a whole bunch of reasons why that won't work, but it also housing won't allow you to do that. So, um, it's not necessarily rent controlled. It's just they have to be able to. It's kind of like when you go protest your value at the housing or at the appraisal district, you protest it by justification. Um, Housing well, authority does the same when thing. When we send in our RFTA, that's a request for tenant approval. <clears throat> they ask for comps. <clears throat> yeah. So we present those comps to them, those comparable homes that were leased, you know, and the amounts and when they were when they were leased. And so they're doing an evaluation based on the current market value. And if you've got something to justify it, to your point. Then well, and it's and you know some of these they're, they're all safeguards, right? Like if you think about it, those are, those are your tax dollars. Would would you like for us to yep. be able to request um, someone who has housing assistance to double the rent just because the, you know the government's taking it or paying it? Like no, you wouldn't. So it's uh, I mean, there's a lot of opinions on what you might think about the program existing and that it being used, but that's not the point. This is the pros and cons of, of how it works. And there's some fraud that you got to be careful of, and, and some things that people do. But so let's talk about Kyle, like. I have a house and I've never done a housing tenant. Like this is, I want to talk about this because this is one of the reasons why tenants have a hard time finding homes. And it's one of the misconceptions probably is I've never done housing. I don't know anything about it. It sounds scary. I feel like they're going to come in and they're going to do this big expense, this 
inspection and make me do a whole bunch of things that I don't want to do or I don't think I need to do. And I'm going to need to buy new windows and all this stuff, right? I've like seen, I've heard people just Mm -hmm. spew all this. And so they foresee it being a huge ordeal. Let's talk about that that process a little bit. I have a new house. It's never had housing before. Okay, first, but let's back up. I have a house that's had housing before. That's extremely easy, right? Mm-hmm. It's already in their system. They know the home. <clears throat> Boom. I just put another tenant in. Go. It's extremely easy to do that house. Mm-hmm. Now I have a house that's never had housing. That address needs to be registered and inspected by that housing authority. Yeah. And taking it a step higher, you need to be, you know, even less, less already in situation as if you're not registered with the housing authority because they register landlords. So yeah, they, now you're looking at registering with the housing authority as a landlord, property manager, whatever it is, and then applying to have the house registered. Mm -hmm. Um, and inspected. And inspected. Uh, but that can be done all at the same time, right? So it can be done in parallel. So even if you haven't gone through this process before, um, they can be approving the tenant while they're approving the house and the lease while they're approving you as a landlord. So it can all really happen at the same time. Um, so it takes, but it does take a couple weeks. So this is the rub in some markets, and maybe not all markets, normal markets. Like right now, it's probably not as much of a of a pain point, but it has been in the past, right? One of the reasons we used to have a uh, informal kind of policy that we didn't accept housing uh, tenants on vacant homes, right? So we would accept applications on homes that that already were tenant occupied and we had a move out date for. And the reason for that was because the amount of time it took to get them approved, get the RFTA in, go through the process with housing. Didn't add time. It didn't add vacancy days. Mm -hmm. And usually in most, in that market that I'm referring to, we had 12 applicants, eight of which were good applicants ready to move in tomorrow. Why would I even consider waiting a couple weeks for a housing? Like, You know what I mean? Like the economics of it made it so that if I had a vacant home, I almost couldn't consider it. Now, we're in a more normal market now where things aren't as crazy. And and that's, you know, so now I'm probably going to take me a couple weeks to get a home filled anyways. So if my first application is a housing applicant, it's definitely something to consider in, in an in a market like we're in right now. Yeah, let me play a little bit of devil's advocate. Even I can find you the pro even if you, in that situation is if you're that much more likely to retain this tenant over a longer period of time, you may be safe <clears throat> by taking the vacancy days now that it takes. You could be saving yourself turnovers. Turnovers and far more vacancies yep. down the road. And, you know, this isn't just a could be. I mean, statistically, you are more likely to be saving yourself yep. vacancy days down the road. So yep. that's just playing the other side of that. Yep. So Because this is all the things people think about. But if you don't have the facts of what actually happens and how it actually works, you know, you can't really take those concerns home. Kyle, we sound like advocates of this. Program. I know, which is weird, isn't it? We're not advocates. I wouldn't, you know, this is opinion. We just, this is... It's we, a tool. 
to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Well, and what we're, we do, we're property we can't, managers. You know, our opinion doesn't matter in what we do. You know, we have to. If the landlord wants to let, let you know take it, then we take it. If the landlord doesn't want to take it, we don't take it. You know, that's that's our stance operationally. Um, but we don't discourage our our homeowners from accepting it, and and no. I mean they allow us to make those decisions for them. That's what they pay us to do. So we we accept we accept our housing tenants, and and unless they, we yeah. don't make the rules that they live under. We don't we didn't make the the laws that created the authorities. We don't run the authorities. We don't ha- we don't make those decisions, and so all we're doing is providing homes for potentially for those those tenants um, and considering their application. We don't even have to take their application. Yeah. Well, and and I'll, I'll take another point we haven't even brought up that, uh, you know, I guess the hardship of it, you know, because there is some fraud, but it's there's way more programs out there that have way more fraud than, in my opinion, than this one yeah. um, because it's so hard to get. People also don't appreciate it's hard to find the house for all the reasons we've already talked about. Getting a housing voucher is probably the hardest part of the entire process. Um, the way that works with every, pretty much every authority – it works differently timeline-wise and all those things. But in general, they have an open application period that in, in a wait list, right? So you could wait years to even apply. And then, you know, you have to go through that process and maybe you get approved. But most people that I've ta- that we know and have gotten a housing, ha- a housing voucher, it took them initially years to get into that program. And I've never heard of someone who's like, I got applied and, well, I, I can't say never. There was some exceptions during the pandemic, but um, in general, that's how it works. There's an enrollment period and there's only a certain number of people that can get into this program. It has a cap. It has a monetary cap. So, um, And, and they, they have rules to protect themselves. And, and one of the things I'm sitting here thinking about some of the things that, that I've often have um, – tenants ask me and try to get me to do. So I would imagine, and we don't do this, but I would imagine that Joe Blow homeowner might do this and get themselves in trouble, although they're not licensed and they're not running a business. So I don't know what their trouble would be, but um, it is fraud to do some of this stuff. And um, like, for instance, you may have a home for $2,000 a month and a tenant has a voucher for 1800 and they really want that, uh, that home. So they may come to you and say, I've got a voucher for 1800 Will you take it? And the homeowner says, no, I'm renting for 2000 And then so then the tenant says, well, I'll pay you $200 cash. Yeah, you that's, can't do that. That's fraud. You can't do that. No. The housing authority specifically prohibits you from doing that. They put you on a budget and they want you to stay within your housing budget. Yeah, I mean, and you shouldn't do that because then it means, I mean, well, then where is that? If they budgeted that in, where, where, where the, where's it coming from? And why would you think that after they they tore these people's lives apart as far as where they spend their money and where they're going to be allowed to in order to get approved in this program? And you're going to trust that they're going to pay you that extra money? I mean, the housing authority would have given them that gap if they could yep. afford it is yep. really where that comes yep. in. Um, and that's the other point that a lot of people don't know. Like, oh, these people got a voucher and then they they did everything they needed to to get a voucher and then now they're taking advantage of the program because they went back to their jobs or whatever. They re 
can they reconfirm this every year when they do that inspection they yep. re re yep. analyze reevaluate the, and we get letters yep. as as the, you know, the landlord or the manager of the, the program changed they yep. get the letters of we did the re, re you know reanalyze this and now the tenants payments this and this is what our payment is We've seen it go both ways. We've seen a tenant's portion go to zero. We've seen a tenant's portion go to a hundred and basically telling us they're no longer in the program at this after this term. And you know, because now they don't qualify. They've essentially lost their voucher. Um for good reasons, for reasons that now they can afford their own rent. So yeah, and if I could just go on a quick tangent, I'm sitting here thinking about that homeowner right now that I just described because mm-hmm. cuz you're 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 absolutely right, Kyle, that the program is set up with good intentions, but people people try to skirt around the rules, right? The mm-hmm. tenants do and the homeowners do. Um if you're that homeowner and you're considering doing something like this, don't. For so many reasons, one, for two, go get a property manager so that you stop making fear-based decisions. You and I talked about these fear-based decisions. Deciding to do that for somebody is a fear-based decision because you think you don't have the certainty to know that you are going to get another applicant that is better qualified. I could probably find for every for every housing applicant that, that would do that to me, I can get 10 more that wouldn't and are well qualified and have a voucher for enough money. Why do you feel the need that you have to take a risk, commit fraud when there are so much opportunity to not commit fraud out there? It's a great point. And it, it brings up uh, another thought that it is a lot of people might think, well, my property is too expensive for a housing voucher. And this is where I'm just not going to, oh, I'm just not going to give opinions here, <laughs> but I'm just going to state the fact that the insane. amounts are based on medians in the cities that they're looking. And it, we have been surprised, is what <laughs> I say, surprised. from how much these are now, in comparison. In the past, they have been low. That has been a true There's, statement. They've been both. But, they've been very but low. But when they were low, they weren't like below anything that you could find out there. No, there was a period of time. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to be all argumentative. <laughs> but there was a period of time when I, that I recall where they were so extremely low that I don't think any housing tenants could even find a home. There, yeah, I actually do remember that to a point, but they've they've overcorrected that in some. They have. There's an opinion. People but, tell me they got vouchers now for twenty six hundred dollars or something for a three on, bedroom. And I'm like, what? It's based on zip code too, and that's where it gets interesting because, yep. like, um, if you're a radius of where you've been approved with all these zip codes. You can essentially go choose to live in one zip code or another based on their medium home price. So if this median has eighteen hundred, that's what your vouchers for. But if this median's three thousand, that might be what your vouchers for. Which, and it's interesting. Here's a testament to how hard it is to get tenants into these homes. These authorities will even pay rent in cities that aren't even there. So, for instance. We are registered with the Grand Prairie Housing Authority. They rent homes for people in Arlington and Mansfield. Why do they do that? I don't understand the reason why they do it, other than there's not enough supply for the amount of um, tenants that they have in their city, so they have to allow their applicants to go outside their city, but... 
Arlington has their own authority. Mansfield uses Tarrant County. I I don't I don't really understand it, but yeah, I mean, that so is the, a truth. The Metroplex of DFW, if this gives you any idea of the overlapping, is you have this, you know three of the three of some of the biggest cities in the in the country. You have Fort Worth, you have Dallas, and sandwiched in between them, you have Arlington, um, and. Splitting those also is Dallas County and Tarrant County. Um, Dallas County, Tarrant County, Arlington, Fort Worth, and Dallas, all of those have a housing authority. And all of those allow you to get a house in pretty much any of those areas. So you have five housing authorities over five areas. I mean, obviously, Dallas County doesn't overlap into Tarrant uh, County. That's the only exception, but... It does overlap into the Fort Worth one and the Arlington one, and then Arlington is pretty much just splitting all of those, and Arlington can go anywhere. So, um, you know, it 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 brings up another thing. <laughs> I'll get into why, but still run these people or the uh, Section Eight tenants should still be ran and screened the yep. exact same way you would a regular person because that's yep. another misconception. People think that. What is the difference though? There is a slight difference in how you might consider income, income. verification. You, um, yep. you don't need to bother with that necessarily because you know the, the rent's that's being what paid for. That's one thing the housing authority is doing for you, um, but the rest of it matters because it can help you catch this fraud. Because I've heard here's here's just a story that has been corrected. I'll bring it up because this can't happen anymore due to technology. But in the past, you know, government not too far in the past because the government, if you know anything about how the government's technology advances lags behind the rest of the world, you'll believe this point. Um, those five housing authorities, ideally, someone who qualified in the past could go get on mm-hmm. our five housing authorities yep. and get five housing houses under the same criteria. There, I have heard... We've did seen he, that happen. We've seen it happen and it can't happen anymore because now they're smart enough to talk to each other about, hey, I have... This person has a voucher with our authority and make sure they don't also have one in, across the street. Um, but yeah, that's fraudulent. And if a property manager ran that person correctly, they would be able to see... They would likely see that oh, they're renting from another manager or, (laughs) you know, we have things like Expedia's rent payment history nowadays that helps property managers see if things are actively being rented elsewhere. So um, great reasons to still screen and still do the rest of your process the same. Good point, Kyle. So we've (laughs) we've talked a lot about the, the, the do's and don'ts, the, the procedures, the, um, the reasons why, the reasons not to, are we advocates? Should should homeowners and property managers be accepting vouchers from Section 8 tenants? Well, I'm going to give you the answer that, that you, you should probably repeat is that that act you spoke about earlier doesn't make it an opinion-based question. Everybody has to, the property managers have to take it. Um, Do they? This is news to me. I'm a property manager. I didn't know that. <laughs> they well, they shouldn't. They can't have an opinion of whether you should or not. It, we have to leave that up to our client. Is essentially yeah. There's I'm fair saying, housing. But. That's different. Fair <laughs> housing is different. But 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 we don't. I don't believe we have to accept is anybody. It, is it is it a 
benefit to your portfolio or can it be a benefit to your portfolio? I think it is a way of diversifying risk inside of your long-term rental portfolio. Yes, I think that is a great way to diversify the risk because you have some pieces of guaranteed rent. Would I personally ever create a long-term real estate portfolio that had a 100% Section 8 rental tenants? No. And that's simply because like anything else, you're it's putting your entire portfolio on the U.S. government. It's still low risk over it's, historically. It's, that's yeah, a low risk, but it's still all in basket. one basket. Yep. So, so um, the the yeah, I, I like I like the short answer, Kyle. Of absolutely, you should be considering and accepting these, and and in the right situation, um, the security. You got something to say. So yeah, I, I think in talking to property managers across the country of why they may or may not do this, I think it's worth pointing out that one of the biggest problems I've heard of people not taking it that would otherwise is just some housing authorities make it so hard, right? And mm-hmm. so ask somebody experienced if you're not in what we just talked about of how that is because that's the only caveat I would agree with. If, if the housing authority takes six months to put a tenant in, then somebody needs to go help fix the housing authority. We, we've had some <laughs> problems with some of the housing authorities and it gives us yeah. pause on accepting applicants f- that they're using that authority. So so absolutely, um, that comes with experience, right? So we're talking in a very generalized term. If you're in, you know, um, I don't know, Sioux, North Dakota, you probably have a completely different authority and different situation than we do here, right? <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, but there's, and you never know what's going to happen. The, the only, the, the one of the reasons our housing authorities aren't, I would never call them great, but in comparison, the, all the rent relief programs that happened during the pandemic were essentially ran by these housing authorities. Yep. They were essentially executed as a whole. So I'll say in the Metroplex, all five of those I just mentioned all became while still doing their normal job, essentially became staff of the <laughs> the Texas Rent Relief Program, right? The and you could be talking to someone from different housing authority every time you call. Um, so yeah. because it was essentially the same program and the same process that operated or happened, I'd say, somewhat better in Texas than some... <laughs> Well, I don't know. We only yeah, know we Texas know, but. experience, but but what the impressive thing is, these people that we deal with on a daily basis. When it came time to COVID and we we had crisis time, you know where they were? They were spending their days in court so that they were readily available to the people that needed them being evicted. They were in eviction court, sitting right there in the court mm-hmm. with a desk. The judge would point to them and said, have you spoken to that person yet? I mean, they became a part of the solution during a really tough time. Well, it was interesting because it wasn't the first, it was this, the solution of Texas Rent Relief, and we've gone off on a little tangent, was it? It was a crapshoot for the first year. What put what made the state say the housing authority needs to take this over and execute it so it gets done was when the Supreme Court knocked it down and said, you got two weeks and this m- moratorium is gone. Is, people don't realize that happened in Texas months, <clears throat> some, in some cases over a year before it happened across the country. And they're like, all right, well, this, we're sitting on a billion plus of money that we can't distribute. And now... You're looking at an eviction timeline of 30 days. So, 
they're like, we need to get this money in landlords' hands within 30 days or they're going to be having, having these people out. So it was interesting to see because that was their solution. What they should have done a year prior, probably, um, let's, let's let the housing authorities that do this exact thing every day take care of it. So so, so back to our, our simple question, should they do it? I think it provides security for homeowners. So if you're the type of landlord that is averse to the security. You don't have a bunch of cash on hand. You're really worried about whether that rent payment comes in every month. This, accepting one of these applicants takes some of that away from you and gives you the security to know that you are going to have that money in your bank every single month. Like a majority of it. Yeah. Because... Well, even when tenants pay... A portion of it. It's usually a small portion. So it's a yeah. small enough portion that we rarely have instances where the tenant doesn't pay on time. Because you know what? That's another guideline of housing. If they're consistently late, right, on their portion, housing wants to know about it and that affects their benefits. Mm-hmm. All of their activities, all of the things they do affect their benefits. And that's the last thing they want to do. So at least from a financial standpoint, taking care of the home, all that stuff, that actually are really good stewards of it all. Yeah, and it's, you know, there's restrictions from the authority, but that doesn't mean you can't still execute, say, an eviction for lease violations as you would need to in another tenant. So, yeah. I think I think uh, I think to to wrap it up and to answer the question, we're proponents of it. We think that in most cases, and, and it's case by case, house by house basis, and and I think in most cases, it's a great idea. I think in some markets, like I've mentioned, where things are just flying off the market, maybe you don't do your vacant homes, maybe you do your tenant occupied homes, and get them ready, you know, to to move in after the tenant leaves. Um, if you're having trouble, if you're having trouble getting qualified applicants in a, in a tough market, then you should be more apt to it. And that's what I mean by it depends on the situation and the market and everything. But the point is, forget the stigmas that you've heard, the negative stigmas. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't be afraid to go through this process and be open to it so that it's another tool that you have in your belt and another opportunity you have to reduce your vacancy days and build wealth for your family with your rental property. Yep. Great way to diversify that portfolio. So, and if you're worried about the demand factor, I'll tell you in, in our experience, especially in this area, there are more people with vouchers than are able than to houses. use them. Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and, and I'm not going to tell people how to feel about that, but maybe for you, that's a reason to or not do it as well. So, yep. but yep. diversify because guaranteed money's good. Good subject. How come <laughs> we never did this before? I don't know. Maybe we didn't want to. <laughs> Just too simple, huh? <laughs> yeah. Good job, Kyle. I, um, I, close us out. Yeah. Well, thank you all for tuning in. If you uh, want to, Ask if we take Section 8. Give us a call, 818-817-818-9039. Give us a call to talk about other things as well at 817-818-9039. Shoot us an email at showmethemoney at wertpm.com. Come visit us in downtown Mansfield. But for now, we are out. Late.